My name is Ian Boswell. I was a world tour professional cyclist for seven years. Skyrider from the USA is a fighter. Well, Ian Boswell is turning up the cranks. Also the host of this fine podcast, Breakfast with Boz, being served by Wahoo. Breakfast with Boz podcast dives into the world of endurance sports, whether it's cycling, multi-sport, running, anything that inspires us to get out and move, we cover right here on Breakfast with Boz. Let's get cooking on Breakfast with Boz. Good morning, everyone, and welcome back to Breakfast with Boz, being served by Wahoo. I'm your host, Ian Boswell, in the kitchen with both my gals this morning, my wife and daughter, and uh, we have something I have never seen for breakfast. I've had something similar, so I'm going to call this a reverse vegan shakshuka. Gretchen, what do we have here? Oh, I think this is a baked feta with cherry tomatoes, something that went viral I don't know, during the pandemic, maybe a year ago. I never made it. Um, I think I could have baked it a little bit longer and hotter, but it's still very tasty. Um, yeah, we're just having it with some homemade sourdough. Do you know why I called it a reverse shakshuka and vegan? Oh, there are no eggs in it and uh, reverse shakshuka because the feta is the star of the show. Is, is feta vegan? Actually, no. I kind of shot myself in the foot with that <laughs> question. But I was thinking it's kind of like a shakshuka. But with shakshuka, there are more tomatoes, less cheese. And here we have more cheese, less tomato. But you're right. Uh, feta is not vegan. But normally shakshuka would have an egg. So we're going to sit back and enjoy this. It's quite hot around the edges. But as we slowly get into the middle, that uh, feta is starting to taste awfully nice. So sit back, relax, and enjoy today's episode of Breakfast with Boz being served by Wahoo. I'm curious how many are going to say those two curmudgeonly jerk holes. They, the sport has passed them by and now they're angry. In today's episode, I am joined by my friend, competitor, and fellow Vermonter, Mr. Ted King. Ted was actually the first guest that I had on Breakfast with Boz when I launched it in 2020, and this will be Ted's third time being a guest on this podcast. This podcast is unique in the sense that Ted and I both recorded audio, and we are both releasing this episode on our own feeds on the same day. If you have not heard of Ted's podcast, it is a wonderful podcast. It is always in my podcast feed, and that is King of the Ride very adequately named for Mr. Ted King. He's had some great episodes in there over the years. Similar to Breakfast with Boz, he covers a wide range of topics. So I recommend going to check it out. For this episode and our conversation, you can listen to it both right here on Breakfast with Boz or on King of the Ride. If you really enjoy the conversation, I would encourage you to listen to it twice because this was one of the best conversations I feel like I've recorded for a podcast, possibly this year, but possibly that I've ever done. I really enjoyed sitting with Ted. We went for a ride beforehand. We had a couple of drinks. We had a wonderful meal cooked by him and his wife, Laura. The babies went off to bed or kiddos, I should say. He's got a two-year-old now, but I really enjoyed having an open and pretty honest discussion with Ted. We oftentimes speak about similar topics about the changing landscape of gravel and 
I was glad that both Ted and I were in a place that we could openly discuss our thoughts and opinions and and share. And we don't want this conversation to come across as anything cynical. But both Ted and I have a very unique perspective on what we experienced in professional racing on the road and kind of what we both came to in gravel, but how that has evolved for me, but more so for Ted, who has been at this for much longer than I have. So without further ado, let's dive in to this week's episode of Breakfast with Boz and my conversation with Ted King. And once again, I hope you all really enjoy this episode I loved recording it. It's a bit longer than normal, but I think there's a lot of value in listening to what Ted and I have to say, but also just absorbing that we have a different perspective than many other athletes who are racing in gravel and a very different perspective than a lot of people who are just participating in the growth of gravel. So sit back, relax, and enjoy today's episode of Breakfast with Boz with my guest, Mr. Ted King. All right, Ted. This is a co-branded, co-hosted podcast. I've actually, yes. as, a, as a podcast, I don't know if you've actually ever had this. Have you ever had a co-host on your podcast? Um, Bobby Wintle. The year was probably 2018, and we had the the identical idea that we would record the same conversation and put it out on either of our podcasts. I think Bobby has had maybe three episodes of his podcast career as host, and... Uh, so that is the long-winded way of saying yes, I've done it once. You? Yeah, I guess, um, well, when I first started this podcast in the tour in 2018, Marshall, my buddy, was actually the host, and uh-huh. I was the guest co-host, I uh-huh. guess. Um, Terrific. But it's something I've always podcast. thought about. Yeah. Well, we should say we are at your house in Richmond. Uh-huh. This is actually the third time you've been on my podcast. Since I've started this, restarted this in 2020, uh-huh. you have been an annual guest. Oh, wow. The only annual guest thus far. I'm flattered. This is, um, that's fantastic. I didn't even, I, you'd think that I would remember that it's been three times, but I'd only counted two, so. Yeah, and I guess it's the second time I've been on your podcast? Yes, correct. correct. Um, I was thinking, we'll get into this. I think I was sitting on an adjacent chair in 20... 20 yep okay talking about it's coming back to me. gravel racing yeah but anyways we just had a lovely dinner we did a bike ride we had some tacos we had some drinks mm-hmm. we've got a little post dinner bourbon but i want to start this episode and you can then do a second start if you would like mm-hmm. with a little game oh wow and this game is rosebud thorn okay Have you ever played it yes uh i played it this summer at the tail end of our van trip where it was high low bitch didn't know okay yeah there's yeah, so rose, I gotta, yeah I i've never heard that rosebud thorn i'm not familiar with a bud give me the rules for the sake of our listeners so rosebud thorn you can also do mountain river valley so okay. like so rosebud thorn rose what did you like the most uh-huh. um thorn what was the worst right. what did you get poked by and bud what are you most looking forward to because a bud hasn't yet yeah, 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 yeah. blossomed or bloomed yeah so my question is, can you give me a rose? I mean, we're sitting here, it's October, well, almost Halloween. Uh-huh. Uh, the season of 2022 is over. Uh-huh. So rosebud thorn of the 2022 gravel calendar. Wow. Wow. Um, I'll preface my answer by saying I listen to your podcast and enjoy it a lot. And I'm curious how much... Uh, 
effort goes into your like how much are your wheels turning right before the conversation happens right before you hit record because for me in that final half hour i'm thinking of this exact thing like what is the opening of a conversation what's the opening of a podcast and maybe i've thought about it like two days before i know what the opening question is going to be um i just went to the bathroom and i thought oh this would be a nice way to start, <laughs> start the conversation okay um, well we just had a we just had a, a nice conversation with you and your wife at the dinner table yes and i feel like we needed a bit of a reset yes. before recording yes. so i thought rosebud thorn is a nice way to reflect mm. on the season and mm-hmm. also to look forward mm-hmm. to what is next okay um rose <clears throat> because i'm going to interpret the rules as I wish. Um, the 2022 season had its rose in the form of our van trip. And I'm saying I'm interpreting the rules because it's not purely an event. I didn't have like this result that I love. Uh, the van trip, which began uh, one week after rooted Vermont was fantastic. We hit the road family of four first time ever doing a van trip we went on an indefinite departure so laura and i have talked about how it could have been terrible we might have turned around literally within the first hour or three hours or three days but it ended up turning out to be a three uh two month trip that is in direct parallel or contrast depending on how you interpret it to my thorn which is my pulmonary embolism uh diagnosed in mid late july So for those listening, pulmonary embolism is a blood clot that has made its way to my lung. And yeah, that's just sucked in so many ways. Um, it means I'm on blood thinners and therefore the, to be in the front of a race, to be bumping elbows is just too dangerous. Bike racing has gotten very dangerous. I don't know if you've noticed that out there on the gravel roads. Uh, so I don't know. I mean, those two go in tandem because then the van trip turned out to be this really philanthropic fun thing where I I, uh, was able to do events and not race, but ride hard and and generate a whole lot of loot for some great beneficiaries. And so my bud would be the prospect in January of 2023 to come off my blood thinners and resume some semblance of competition because I don't know. Uh, you miss it. I miss it. You know, there's. Yeah. Riding fast with strong people is fun. It is. And I've had, I've had slivers of that in the past two months. Uh, last best ride and RPI and, and, and uh, big sugar this past weekend. But yeah, it ain't quite the same. So I look forward to, to something new. That was my long winded responses. Ian, I've got a game for you. Okay. Let's play. Ted's. High low. Bet you didn't know. And so ah. bet you didn't know is. Actually, uh, yeah, I'll give it for the for the entire year. Um, what is something that we might not have known? High, low, what you didn't know. Um, goodness, let me think here. The high of the year probably would have have been. Um, I would have to say, from a racing standpoint, probably returning to Unbound and being on the podium again. Yeah. Because I don't, I don't want to say that last year was a fluke, um, but it was, I think, from myself and I think a lot of people, not unexpected, but kind of, I didn't expect to win. And to go back this year and to be in contention, I was like, oh, wow, I, could, I did it again, mm-hmm. um, which is cool. Um, also, I think I'd put, I had more pressure on myself and expectation going into this year than I did last year. Um, I also had one of my first 
ever flat tires. In, well, my first ever flat tire in a gravel race. I take that back. I did flat in migration the year before, but that was slightly different. Your first flat was at this year's Unbound? Uh, well, I, I did actually did flat last year at migration gravel race. Okay. But that was, right. I mean, it wasn't as kind of crucial. Yeah. Um, so I learned how to use tire plugs, yes. which is good. I used four, three of which I made a bigger hole in the tire before I actually plugged <laughs> the tire. Um, my low point of the year would have been, I guess the second part of the year, I didn't race much at all. Um, and we'll get into that. And that is my, what you didn't know. Cool. Yeah. So in the end of June, um, I went to a race in Canada, the Okanagan Graveler. And on the way home somewhere, myself and my whole family got COVID. And that affected me for almost two months. So I had, and actually I listened to your podcast about uh, when you spoke to the cardiologist down in Dr. Mass. Aaron Baggish. Yes. Yeah. Um, which is actually really informative. And I'm not sure if you sent it to me or someone else sent it to me and said, hey, you should listen to this. Because yeah. he talked about some of the you know, yeah. cardiac conditions that have come through athletes who have had COVID. And so there's like a two month spell there where I didn't really train. I mean, I rode my bike a little bit, but I just couldn't, I couldn't go hard. Mm -hmm. And that kind of led me to not being able to train or prepare for like the second half of the season, you know, SBT and I guess, you know, rooted Vermont, Vermont Overland. Um, you know, I guess I did finally kind of get back to riding hard at Gravel Locos in Pueblo. Mm -hmm. But I, that kind of was a, it was a weird, uh, similar to you. I enjoyed going to races and seeing the different side of the events. You know, I came to, to your event here in rooted and I got a ride with some friends and I was like, this is actually really fun. Yeah. It's like, I've been doing this gravel stuff for a year and a half now. I'd never just gone to an event to ride for fun and to see like the, the party at the back, you know, the full, I've seen the full mullet now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, you know, I like you, I still love riding hard. I love like testing myself and seeing what I'm capable of. And so to not be able to do that wasn't, I mean, it was, it was kind of a bit of a relief because I did have a decent first part of the season, but I did miss out on, you know, going back to some events that I really enjoyed last year that I didn't get a race this year, you know, rooted overland SBT, mm -hmm. but yeah, sometimes that's how the cookie crumbles at our old age, Ted. Exactly. We are not whippersnappers. Okay. Uh, so that was your low segue into bet you didn't know. Is that correct? Yeah. Well, I, th I think I had COVID and I didn't really, I told, I mean, people knew I had COVID, but it, I guess people yeah. maybe didn't know that COVID. I had long COVID. I mean, it's, it's interesting that you just said, uh, you know, you said you've experienced gravel for a year and a half, which sounds so such a short period of time in the grand scheme of things. But at the same time, I, and probably many of our listeners and, and, probably the global cycling community would consider you something of a staple of the gravel cycling community as a result of having success at Unbound and doing it even a year before a lot of the folks have been doing it. Uh, <laughs> so in your short time in gravel, what have you noticed? Well, this is actually why I came over to your house to stay for the night and, <laughs> and ask you, cause I wanted to ask you cause you started gravel <laughs> in 2016. Yeah. Um, and I think we would both attest to, and on the drive over, I will say I listened to your podcast as well with one of my fellow Oregonians, Carl Decker, which is a really fascinating episode. It has changed a lot. And I don't know what change you have seen from 2016 until now, yeah. but in the last 12 months, it has changed astronomically. It has become way more competitive, way more serious. 
and, you know, I guess, you know, I had this weird kind of opportunity where I stopped racing on the road. I retired in 2019. So 2020 was my first year as not a professional cyclist mm -hmm. or a professional road cyclist. People might get mad at me for saying I'm not a professional cyclist, but I hear you. I, you know, then we hit the pandemic. And so I didn't race that entire year. And the first race I did was rule of three. And then I came back and did the second race was unbound. And, you know, I won that. And I was like, wow, this is like, this is awesome. Like I'm, I was still riding. I was like, you know, pushing myself, but I wasn't training. I was like very much enjoying the, what gravel allowed me to do. I had this very balanced life and in the summer I could still camp and, you know, ride my bike for fun and, you know, kind of just live this life that I'd always kind of thought was like the perfect balance. And for whatever reason, I think because of the success I had in 2021, I came into this year like more stressed. Mm -hmm. You know, you start to look at other people's rides on Strava, you know, especially you, you, I mean, you only live an hour and a half away from me, but the weather is way different. I'm like, <laughs> yeah. how is Ted doing a 60 mile ride today? I'm like, you you know, I can't, Arctic. it's snowing at my house. There's no way I can get out. Your nearest paved road is like four miles away. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I just felt this like increased level of stress and, and expectation of like, you know, what I guess I knew I was capable of. But what I guess I realized was, you know, more challenging to actually achieve um and then a lot of new players came to the gravel scene this year you know whether it was someone like you know keegan or russell or you know even more you know world tour riders who i had raced against you know someone like nathan haas came this year and you know cam Worf was at unbound and i just felt like it got very serious um and maybe i told this to you before i had this like kind of snapshot epiphany at the first race of the lifetime grand prix where you were an observer. I was an observer. You were, you were a media person. I, I was with my microphone at the finish line. Mm -hmm. And I saw yourself and Pete and Alex and Keel, all riders in an almost identical situation to me. We left yeah. the world tour. We came to gravel because we wanted it to be fun and different and yeah. relaxed. And I think you, did you crash? No, I was behind a couple of crashes. I certainly did not have a good race. Yes. You I did stayed not, upright. Yes. But Pete crashed and broke his hand. Hand. Yeah. Keel crashed and I think Alex crashed as well. Yep, yep. And I guess Alex was kind of still in the world tour at the time, but I just had this thought of like, wait, 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 we all left something that was dangerous and high risk yeah. and came to this, you know, yeah. thing cause it was fun. And I was like, but they're all kind of, at the, I saw the same expression on all of your faces as you would see at the end of, you know, a classic where you're like disappointed mm -hmm. you didn't do better. And I just felt like that was kind of a reoccurring theme throughout the season. Um, it's not to say I didn't have fun this year. And I love that. I love that new kind of players came into the scene and pushed the level even higher. Mm -hmm. But personally, I, there were multiple times throughout the year when I felt kind of felt like, whoa, this has changed a lot and I had a realization. And so I guess I would pitch the same question back to you. I mean, when you won unbound in 2016 mm -hmm. to, I mean, you didn't go to unbound this year, but you did other events and you kind of saw the level of competition I mean, what is the, what is the thing that has changed? Because I mean, obviously the, the level of competition has gotten better, mm -hmm. but what is the, I mean, not the experience, but like what about it has become more intense because even at the time unbound in 2016 was still competitive. Everyone wanted to win who was there for the yep. race. Um, I mean, man, from a, from a funny bullet point answer. I, I try to look back at 2016 and there was so little media there. Uh, so that is a, a sort of a, 
unintended consequence of gravel building is now I can look back at any year and Google unbound 2017 Ted King and find a photo, you know? Yeah. Uh, whereas that year was so fresh and so new that, that I can think of, I don't know. It, it reminds me of one's memory, which I think we all think of our memories as remarkably, uh, true and sincere, but I think they're all quite plastic and, and memories do change and they, they hinge on photos and what somebody might insert a little anecdote to a story and then the, the one's memory will change. Um, yeah, in 2016, it was competitive, but I had two flats and one by a decent margin. Um, that was a, I mean, man, talk about funny anecdotes. Like I was in the lead. Um, I was changing my second flat. I go, I go on to, to, to win the race. The person who was in second place called his wife and she picked him up on course. And then the third place rider reached that vehicle and got in the car as well. So the person who was in fourth place ultimately finished second. Um, wow. And that as, was... as a testament to the race was hot and it was hard and it was, it was, uh, I don't know. I mean, it, to go way off track, I remember being at the tail end of the thousand thirty mile Arkansas high country in the lead about to set the FKT. And I remember thinking if Laura drives by me right now in the final 25 miles, I would have gotten <laughs> in the car. car. I'm yeah. so effed. Like, yeah, you, you think sideways. So yeah, that was a funny 2016 anecdote. Obviously, to fast forward to the present, whoever's in second place at, at unbound is not going to be like, you know what? I'm going to get in the car and quit right now. Yeah. Uh, obviously the speed has increased. The times have, uh, dropped. There have been hell bent conversations about aero bars and, and, uh, hydration packs and the like, you know, what's kind of interesting to me is I used to tell people that the first hour and a half to two hours of unbound is going to be some of the most boring bike riding of your life. Whereas now fast forward to the present, I think your time in 2022 shaved an hour and a half off the previous time. Your, your first ever unbound. So you skip that whole first section because I think <laughs> yeah. you're, you're not riding an, a casual 12 miles an hour. Yeah. Like it used to be boring because in a 200 mile race, no one wanted to show their cards before the first dicey section. And then the race yeah. starts picking up. Um, I would be, yeah, to your point, you've experienced basically two seasons of gravel and you have seen a vast increase in the, in the past year. It's the gasoline is being thrown on the fire. Now things are really increasing. The industry is behind it. It's become mainstream. I have conversations with people who I never in my life would have ex ever expected them to say, Hey, I just got a gravel bike. Like these are folks who don't even know what I do for a living. They just assume that I race in Europe still. And they're like, ah, I got it. I got a gravel bicycle. And I'm like, Oh man, that is cool. It is mainstream. Uh, when I'm dancing around is, I would be a fool to not mention that lifetime has, uh, increased the game, accelerated the competition, accelerated the competition in yeah. a major way. And I remember thinking and having the conversations with guys like Russ Finsterwald and Keegan early in the year and, and hearing how gung ho they were about the season ahead. It was something very refreshing for them. They are peak physical condition. They are top notch pros at their, at their prime mountain biking has gotten a little bit stale and so why not increase the volume of their training and they're going to take that mountain bike intensity to gravel so i don't know i mean those things have only gotten quicker 
the speed has only gotten higher and the beeping of our child monitor is going to go off in one second. I, I've, uh, I heard that and I've got one of my own at the house. I mean, I guess we should, we should preface this conversation that Ted and I still both love riding our bike. We still love gravel riding, gravel racing. I guess what we are discussing, I guess why I uniquely wanted to speak to Ted in this conversation is because you've seen more of this than I have, and you've seen the, a change that's happened quicker. And I guess when you mentioned these, and maybe this is kind of what has actually changed for me and I guess my opinion, you know, when you brought up aero bars and, you know, these, the controversies that have come up at aid stations is that the group of people who are at the front has become larger. You know, I think back to 2021, there was a relatively small group of, you know, you and I both race in, in the men's category. So we, kn- I mean, 2021, especially we knew kind of the 10, 15 guys who were going to be at the front of unbound. We were all friends. You know, we kind of all knew what each other were doing. We could send a text message, you know, you and me and Pete and, you know, Lawrence and, you know, and like, Hey guys, we're going to, are you racing with a hydration pack or not? I remember this uniquely last year at SBT, like, are we going to race with hydration packs or are we not? Someone said, no, we all decide, okay, we're not racing with hydration packs. We'll stop at the aid stations. This year, that group of 15 riders has grown to 50 riders who are competitive and you and I don't know them all. There's people coming over from Europe. That group has become much bigger, which is awesome. But there's no way that someone <clears throat> outside of the event promoter can decide what's going to happen with, you know, these kind of unwritten rules of the race or this kind of this, I don't want to say etiquette, but like what's going to, how are we going to go about, you know, aid stations or aero bars? And I think that that is what has changed and that's what's kind of caused these controversies. And no one's, I don't think anyone is necessarily right or wrong because we're still very much figuring out what, it looks like, but the, like anything in most, you know, situations, a lack of communication has made these issues worse. Yes. Uh, it is hard to write unwritten rules and I, I completely want to echo and reiterate it. I'm not griping. I'm not going to complain in this conversation and I'm not sad about it. Uh, I think it is good for cycling i think it's especially good for american cycling as we see i mean i feel like i say it in every podcast like domestic road racing which you and i are a product of is in the toilet and if this is what is going to reinvigorate cycling in north america then that i think that is a great great thing um yeah you talk about being at, at a variety of races over the past year and a half and you can count on the dozen or so riders or even half dozen riders who who you you are known are going to be contending the finish and now you show up at any one of these races and yeah, you don't even know the people who are going to show up and be contesting the finish. Uh, the field is that much deeper. And as a result, the speed is that much higher. Um, Brennan Wirtz was recently on my podcast and, um, he is a, he's a former world champion rower. So he obviously has a massive engine and he's gotten into cycling and he's very capable cyclist and race winning cyclist. He had probably one of the strongest springs of anyone on two wheels here in 2022. Um, but he was the first example of somebody who has, who has come from a non traditional background, wasn't a cyclocross racer, wasn't a road racer, wasn't a mountain biker. And he came to gravel and he's made a career of it. And he's garnered the sponsors to allow himself to say, yes, I'm a professional gravel rider. 
professional because he's he's creating a living from it. He's seeing results and he's having a great time. Up until that happened, and he's in the same boat. I think he's been doing it for a year and a half, two years now. Up until him, I had I did not think it was possible. I thought gravel was like, for all intents and purposes, and I, I might regret even saying this, the retirement tour. Yeah. As a testament to, to the fact that I have been incorrect, that is what has increased the game. Uh, there are so many riders in their young 20s who don't really see a future in other other genres of cycling, and so they're they're pursuing this. I even remember in 2000, uh, probably 18, one of Adam Meyerson's athletes. Adam Meyerson, if you know him, you obviously know him. If you don't, he's a coach here in New England. And he was coaching a junior team, and one of his, you know, fifteen-year-old riders said, "I want to be become a gravel pro." And I was just like, "What? Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't know what you mean by that. Go have a ten-year European career, and then try to pursue gravel." Um, yeah, it's only sped up. It's only become more and more competitive. It's only gotten more. Uh, I don't know if litigious is the word, but again, to go full circle to the answer to this question, you can't write unwritten rules. And as the sport gets more serious and there's more dollars on the line, for better or worse, rules need to be written. Yeah. I mean, I think it, one thing that dawned on me when, as we were sitting at dinner talking about your event, Rooted, and my event over in Peachum is that we both host gravel events. Mm-hmm that I feel like we both instill what we value in gravel in our events mm-hmm. and they both either have rules or, you know, my events, not even a race, but your yep. event has distinct rule. Aero bars aren't allowed. Mm-hmm. I guess your race isn't necessarily long enough where you have to stop at an aid station. But yeah, that was a big point of, uh, uh tumult in 2021 where it was unwritten that everybody was going to stop and then boom and the lead group blasted through the feed zone it's like wait oh, wow. i was supposed to stop in 2021 yeah, apparently i don't know <laughs> I i'm didn't just hear the that race promoter line. uh and yeah to put another insert in there another event that we we host is king challenge which is much like peach and fall fondo like unequivocally not a race yeah you want to stop at the rest stops yes yeah. that is a point there's great food there yeah. oysters at the finish yeah yeah do you, I mean, yeah, from the beginning, well, uh, from the beginning, Peach and Fall Fondo was intentionally not a race. Yeah. King Challenge just celebrated our 12th year. From the beginning, it was intentionally not a race. As someone who's now experienced a whole bunch of races, do you have a preference? I mean, that, that's a, that's a unintentionally weighted question. Um, well, you know, I guess we started, I started peaching when I was still racing on the road. And so what I, you know, what I never got to do was ride bikes casually with my friends and with, you know, fans and with neighbors. And so we started peaching because I was like, you know, I'd finished a long season. The first year of the race was in October. I was like, I just want to ride bikes casually with people. And so that's what, that's how it started. And that's kind of how it's continued is like a casual ride with people with, designated stops you know and it's you know we called it a peach and fall fondo because it was even before i knew about gravel we mm-hmm. didn't call it the peach and gravel grinder or something because i was like i've done a grand fondo before and this is kind of like a grand fondo mm-hmm. that wasn't competitive it was casual but i feel like at rooted you have a similar there is a race there and it is highly competitive amongst the people that are there racing this year i attended it and did the little sip 
mm-hmm. sip of sunshine's the full distance. Little sip is the shorter distance. Yep. And I was like, wow, I got to stop at all the rest stops. You know, I had a great time. And I guess that's the beauty of gravel. And that's why I think it's important for people like you and I to have this conversation because most people listening, most people who participate in a gravel event don't experience, maybe they read about the front of the race, but they don't actually experience the front of the race. They're not involved in the controversy. They're not mm-hmm. taking action in the race that may cause controversy. Mm-hmm. And so the beauty of the event is that all these people are participating but what people read about is this growing animosity or controversy that's happening at the front of the races, which I guess, you know, as both you and I get older, although <laughs> I, I realized this on the drive over, I think I am still younger than when you first did How old are you? Unbound, 31. Yep. I retired at 32. So My got, world tour career. So I've got a long time ahead. Well, and then furthermore, you got Lawrence Hendam, who is showing no signs of slowing down. And he's no. like... He's up. He's Carl Dicker's age. He's like 49. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> kidding. Kidding to you both. Um, but I guess, you know, there, I guess what I first fell in love with when I first did my first few gravel events was that it was, I was able to express myself through physical effort and the result was kind of not secondary, but I got to express myself by riding hard. Mm-hmm. And now I feel like sometimes you are, penalized for maybe being a little bit more casual in the race, (laughs) you know, whether it's, you know, you take a little bit longer in the feed zones or you choose Uh to stop. And I guess with the whole feed zone thing, um, you know, we were both at gravel locos this year Uh and, you know, Fabian did this mandatory rest stop. And I just thought about it's, it's similar when I think back to professional road racing, when you can't get a bottle in the final 20 K of a race, I'm like, this is so inhumane that you Mm -hmm. can't, you're physically, it's illegal to have water. Mm-hmm. And when you look at gravel events and you're not actually allowed or you, I mean, you could, but like you're out of the race if you get water. Mm-hmm. And I just think like something like this has to be, there has to be a better way to sort this out or to organize this where, cause people are going to, the stakes are going to become high enough where people are willing to push themselves beyond what is advisable mm-hmm. to make that front group because they you know need to be there, but they came into the aid station, you know, 30 seconds later and they won't get water because they want to be in that group and they get 50 miles down the road mm-hmm. and they haven't drinking water for two hours. I'm like, that is crazy. Well, right. And then because these events are isolated, then you're outside of cell phone range. Yeah. And or you decided to not bring a cell phone on that day because that's an extra couple ounces that you know that according to the latest so-and-so news.com article says that every ounce of weight matters. Yeah, there are there are more and more risks being taken. I forget exactly what you were saying just a minute ago, but it it reminded me of these events. They intentionally celebrate the masses. Yeah, the masses are what support the industry and what support the sport. And if you're going to have a three thousand person event, the majority of those three thousand people are not professional cyclists. The biggest events draw the professional riders, and the professional riders dictate a lot of what is. Uh, in vogue, fashionable, whether it's nutrition, whether it's the equipment we're using, any number of things, if we're using aero bars, if we're using hydration packs. And so there's a huge trickle-down effect from what happens in the pro race. And so as much as as these races want to say all day long, we are are about the people, and many of them are, there is still a, a, a huge ramification to what pros show up and what pros do throughout the day. Um yeah and it's only 
professionalizing. I mean, it's funny what you were saying. Like, uh, it, it, it's if if you want to be casual on the day, and I'm I'm laughing because when as you said that, I was like, well, or being casual throughout the year. Like, I don't know if you remember this in our 2020, the year you won Unbound. Yes. In the post race interview, I asked everybody else who was on stage. I was like, what? Uh, how recently did you retire? Because residual fitness, I'm I'm a firm believer yeah. is a is a thing. Like you had re, you had retired from the world tour the year prior. Lawrence Tendam, the same. Pete, a year same, or so. Same year, yeah. Yeah, and I at that point had been out of the world tour for what five years or six years. And and the longer you're out, obviously the it, it's almost like this rebound. You have to yeah. train more. Yeah. You have to catch up. You have to make up for this lost time because straight out of the world tour, yeah, you're freaking flying. But if you continue in the game, it's going to take a heck of a lot more work. Did you watch the UCI Gravel World Championships? I did. I don't know if I watched the whole thing. Mm-hmm. I can't actually remember how much I watched. Maybe I tuned into part of it. Yeah. Um, and I guess, I mean, I'm going to be honest. I think we talked about this. I think what happened is exactly what I expected to happen was where these professional road riders just smoked everyone. Top 10. Yeah. All UCI road racers. I think I think that is correct. I've not double checked that, but I think that is correct. And in, in fairness, the event is very different than something like Unbound. You know, it was shorter. Yeah. It was much less technical. You know, most riders were on road bikes. Maybe the top mm-hmm. ten was all on on a road bike. Mm-hmm. Um, very flat course, which is not atypical of gravel, but very flat course. Yeah, but I mean, I guess the whole thing, and maybe you know, in fairness, maybe the thing will sort itself out. But it was all very confusing to me, and the fact that it was then. I, when I first had heard about it, I thought it was this qualification system that if you went to a race, you could qualify and then you could go to the world championships. Turns out that federations got selections for the pro race. And if you mm-hmm. qualified, you qualified for your age group. And one thing that occurred to me is I coach a rider, um, Jordan, who's with the Imani team and he's from Uganda. And I guess what was disappointing to me to see in this is that it kind of eliminated all the opportunity that I found in gravel, you mm-hmm. know, where you could be, you know, someone like Brendan, mm-hmm. you know, he's probably, um, maybe he's had a road license. Maybe he's never had a, you know, a cycling license on the road, but he could show up at unbound and win unbound without ever having a road license, without ever having to deal with a federation. And I think both of us race with USA cycling. I think they have, you know, a part to play in cycling, but the fact that, you know, Jordan is from Uganda, he couldn't do the professional race at the gravel world championships because the Federation didn't support him in doing it. And they didn't, you know, even though they had spots, he wasn't allocated one. So he had to race his age group. And this is a rider that's 19. And he, you know, he was second or he was third here at uh, Vermont Overland in end of August, you know, mm-hmm. he did SBT and gravel worlds. And I think he was 11th at gravel worlds in the original gravel worlds yeah, in Lincoln, the, Nebraska. The version. Um, you know, and I, I coach him and I was like, this is so cool that he gets to go be on the start line with, you know, Matthew Vanderpool and all these pro riders. And it was like, it wasn't until like two days before the race that he messaged me. And he's like, Hey, I I'm doing my age group because I can't do the pro race because you know, the, the bureaucracy of professional road cycling, which, mm-hmm. you know, has its pros, has its cons, but it was, it dawned on me very quickly that without really anyone's consent from the riders, we had kind of turned this immediately where at least gravel cycling, as far as the UCI is concerned, into what we already have with road cycling, where people from underprivileged countries or countries that don't have an organized federation don't have an equal opportunity that 
they have had in gravel racing where everyone starts on the start line together, regardless of your federation, with regardless of your license, regardless of your age, gender, everyone's on the start line together. And that's one thing that I found so cool in gravel racing that immediately I saw, I'm like, whoa, 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 what happened here? Like, mm-hmm. this is what we have been building here in the US and not necessarily me, but you know, people for the last 15 years. And we threw that all out the window for a rainbow jersey, mm-hmm. which can you wear the rainbow jersey at SBT or Unbound <laughs> or Rooted? I don't, I don't know. I mean, it's not, I mean, I think, you know, I came through, you know, I had a road cycling license from the age of 14 or 13. Mm-hmm. And that was like, I mean, I benefited greatly from, you know, USA Cycling, a federation that was, has been, you know, very organized and very, you know, helpful and supportive to, you know, road cyclists and I guess mountain bikers and cyclocross riders. But seeing what I've seen now, you know, I was in a very fortunate position to, you know, be in a country that has a national federation and we had money for the national team growing up, but not every country has that. And so then we're kind of just putting ourselves in the same position that we had in road cycling. Uh, it's funny you talk about how, how, uh, the power and privilege of USA cycling. And I, I have also benefited from their generosity and I got to race in the U S national team. And a lot of that was on their dime. Having heard the podcast with Sarah Sturm as a guest on Pace McKelvin's podcast, where she talked about racing for USA Cycling in the pro women's race, and she had to buy her national team jersey, which I just thought was nothing but comical. Um, I think USA Cycling is getting behind gravel, is certainly trying to get behind gravel, is trying to catch up with the wave of popularity of, of cycling that is gravel, and yet they can't pony up a jersey like that i don't know just to her to hear an anecdote like that stinks who knows maybe they threw her yeah. a, a ton of resources elsewhere so so i don't want to chime in where it's not my place um jordan schleck did he earn his place at did he go to one of the qualifiers he did yeah he which qualified. is yeah bananas <sighs> yeah no shortage of words have been thrown at the uci gravel world championships in the week or a handful of days aftermath ahead of a couple of people be like, well, why you've been, you've been noticeably quiet. And I was unintentionally noticeably quiet. Yeah. You know, I, I don't know. I don't feel you like two kids. I, have two kids. I was very busy on. and I don't feel like it, I, I don't want to be a, a presenter of media and here I'm an arbiter of what is true. Almost your opening words where it, proved out the point that UCI pro road racers are the fastest people on two wheels. Yeah. Which is something that I uh, agree to. Their job is to train for four to seven hours a day for years and years and years on end, which is something that I, especially with two kids, don't have time to do in the irony of gravel races getting longer and longer longer than a heck of a lot of uh uh traditional uci road races if anyone ever jokes about the the skill set of a rider and their dexterity on a bike like i mean of of a pro road rider they and we in our former lives were paid to practice bike riding like i said for four to seven hours a day so as much as somebody might be a sketchy rider they're probably world class so therefore to go off-road to ride on gravel roads strata cobbles like that takes uh, the 1% of the 1% 
to allow that in the first place. So the the tree I'm barking up, which is the same one you have, is yeah, it's no surprise to me that those the top ten were all UCI pros from the road. Uh I guess my question and and something that I'm not quite certain the answer of is is there such thing as a gravel specialist? I mean I would say up until I guess for the last two years that I've been doing gravel, I would say that I'm better at gravel, the long gravel races than I was at professional road racing. Would I say I'm a gravel specialist? No. So there probably isn't a gravel specialist. Um, maybe someone like Keegan actually is a gravel specialist. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know people before Unbound were like, oh, he's, he doesn't have the endurance. I'm like, he yeah. won 24 hours old Pueblo. He's, he can ride for 24 <laughs> hours. I think, I think he has the endurance. Uh-huh. But I don't really know if gravel has yet been defined what it is. Sure. You know, what is it? Is it 200 miles like Unbound or is it 100 or 200K like the, you know, UCI Gravel World Championships? Mm -hmm. And this is, and I don't want to say that there's not space for the UCI Gravel events, but my thought, I think in 2019, did you do the Grode to Kanza? Is that what it was called? Uh, 18. 18. 19. Why can't they call it the UCI Gravel? Grow world championships because it, it could you know when you when i saw the race you know people were doing bottle hand ups it looked v- identical to a road race yes. other than the surface that they're riding on was more strata bianchi than strata bianchi mm-hmm. there's no reason we can't have those type of races but it's very different than what gravel racing that we had and that has traditionally been seen here in the u.s mm-hmm. where it's like self-supported and i guess that for me has been one of the most enjoyable things, you know, especially in 2021 when most, well, every event I went to by myself, you know, I never flew with a mechanic or a support team or anything, you know, the mm-hmm. night before unbound in 2021, I learned that you have to have lights on your bike from thankfully Pete texted me and that you had to have a support crew in the aid station. So thankfully I was there with Wahoo and, you know, a guy had, just had a van and said, Hey, I can come out and give you your, <laughs> you know, your hydration packs. Uh-huh. And so it worked out perfectly. You know, this year I did fly with, you know, my buddy Corey here from Vermont, who was, you know, is a mechanic, but I really enjoyed feeling like a junior again. Yeah. And like where you're kind of self-reliant, you know, I, I really missed the days of, you know, going over, you know, growing up in Bend, driving over to Portland and pumping up my tires and eating oatmeal in the car, like mm-hmm. before a 10 mile time trial where you're kind of self-reliant. And I really think that that was kind of the beauty of gravel for me and still maybe is, is that I love being self-reliant where if something goes wrong, it's my fault. Yeah. You know, if I don't have sealant in my tires or if I forget to, you know, pack my pockets, right. I can't, you know, you've been on a world tour bus. Most problems for a world tour ride are someone else's problems. You're blaming okay. your mechanic. You're blaming yeah. your massage guy gave you a massage too hard. <laughs> there, it's always someone else's issue. Right. But in gravel, I felt like, you know what, if something goes wrong, it's going to be my fault. Mm-hmm. And I really enjoyed the fact that that was the case. Mm-hmm. But watching the UCI race, it kind of was just the same, you know, status quo of what professional road racing is, is where you're dependent on other people to support you. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of a long-winded answer back to, is there a gravel specialist? But I, I really don't think we know yet because we don't really have it defined enough to know what the discipline, I mean, I guess question back, is there a road specialist? Because you look at someone Vanderpool or Van Art, they're winning mountain bike races, they're winning cross races, they're winning yeah. road races. And I think that's one of the 
most beautiful things with the generation now of cyclists is that people are, you know, they're versatile. Mm -hmm. You know, I think I, especially maybe, I guess you too, we came through an era where American cyclists were, everyone wanted to be a climbing GC rider because that's what we saw on TV that we mm -hmm. saw, we saw Lance and Levi and Floyd and Vandeveld and they're all climbing GC Tour de France contenders. So we all wanted to be that. We didn't do cyclocross. We didn't do mountain bike. We didn't even want to do the classics. Mm -hmm. I guess you maybe want to do the classics. I didn't because I wanted to be, I wanted to be the next, you know, yellow Jersey, American yellow Jersey winner. Right. And so we put ourselves in a box. And I think over the last couple of years, we've seen these riders come through, you know, Pidcock and whatnot, where they've opened up kind of the avenue of, you can be a cyclist mm -hmm. and you can race mountain bike and road and cross and gravel, which I think is awesome. How has parenthood affected your outlook on, on racing? Um, I mean, I think this was, it kind of already started to set in, in 2021, you know, because I stopped racing because of a series of crashes and concussions so the last thing I ever want to do is have to call my wife or have someone have to call my wife where, Hey, Ian crashed. He hit his head. He's in a hospital. Mm -hmm. Like that is like number one, like finish the race and be safe. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, my wife and daughter did attend a few races with me this year and that just brings so much perspective to bike racing. You mm -hmm. know, just getting back to the finish and seeing your wife and daughter, I'm like, Oh wow. Like I'm, I'm done. And it's also motivation to actually get home quicker. Yeah, <laughs> you sure. know, cause I'm like, cool. Yeah. I get home, you know, as fast as I can to, to get back to them. Um, and I think that's kind of been the beauty of gravel events is like that. I want to take my wife and daughter to events. And that's something that I'm, I mean, I guess neither of us had, you know, a daughter or even a wife when we were racing, but oftentimes you, or sometimes you'd see that as a distraction at a race. Like when I'm, you know, when you're at the Tour de France or when you're at the Pyrenees or the Giro, you just want to like do your thing and like you're working. Mm -hmm. And I don't necessarily feel like I'm always working now at races. Like I'm there to have fun and to socialize and, you know, introduce my wife to people who I speak about because I meet at other events. But I think it's changed mostly, I guess, you know, I really value when I have the freedom to ride anymore. And even though it's still part of my job and my livelihood to ride my bike, it feels more like a privilege now to ride than it does feel like a requirement mm -hmm. to ride. Mm -hmm. You know, the fact that I came over here this afternoon and we got to go for, I'm like, we rode for what, an hour and a half? I'm like, sweet, yeah. we got out for an hour and a half. Yeah, yeah. If I was in the world tour, I'd be like, I'm not, I might not even get kitted up because I might just take a rest day. Yeah. Like, what's the point of riding for an hour and a half? <laughs> it's not worth it. Like, I might as well just stay home and rest. Mm -hmm. So it's made me value the time that I do get to ride my bike because I really do love, and I think both of us, we love riding our bike. Becoming a parent has given me an enormous appreciation for our colleagues in the world tour who are married and had kids. I cannot believe that existed. Uh, because yeah, to your point, when you're getting through a stage of the Dauphiné, the Giro, whatever it is, like you are pouring every ounce of your soul selfishly into performance on that day, on that week, on that season. And so, yeah, to now think with the benefit of hindsight and the benefit of parenthood two times over, how you can even fathom. I mean, I guess to then take one big lateral step, it hinges on the back of the spouse who is bearing a heck of a lot of weight. Yeah. And I guess that's, I mean, were you teammates with Craddock? He came to, um, to yeah, Garmin the year that after, I left. Yeah. But he's someone, he has two kids now. Mm -hmm. And I guess that you, and I've said this to multiple people, I could have not been a parent and raced in the world tour. Yeah. 
I just couldn't fathom like being as selfish as you need to be and having a kid and seeing those sacrifice, you know, going, especially now altitude mm-hmm. camps, you know, yeah. and I've spoken to Lawrence Denham about it as well. Like just how much he has changed around his family doing gravel racing versus road racing. And you know, your mindset is astronomical. And I guess that's one thing that I would hope. And maybe you and I have this unique perspective because we've seen the other side, we've seen kind of what gravel racing was and we would hope that like the athletes can continue to have this balance that you and I have both experienced the difference between being a professional road racer and a professional gravel racer. And I just hope that like that balance can stay in perspective for athletes. Mm -hmm. And because it is becoming more competitive, the tendency is going to be to make more sacrifices, spend more time away, do altitude camps, you know, all these things. But I just hope that like athletes can realize and people who haven't done this before, you know, people who are coming, you know, someone like Brendan, he's a perfect example. If he doesn't know the sacrifices that a world tour rider makes that he can somehow keep balance and still be competitive. And maybe that does mean that the level of the sport is slightly lower than professional road racing. And that's okay. But hopefully the athletes can like live a more healthy and a more balanced life. And I don't know if that's necessarily possible because it will continue to progress, but I guess that's what I would hope for. I, I sincerely wonder if that is possible. Uh, if you take a look at somebody like Keegan, who is, he has the chops to speak the obvious truth to be in the world tour tomorrow. Yeah. His strength to weight ratio and his bike dexterity is absolutely world-class. Uh, he obviously has success at, at lifetime. He wins the overall and he wins five out of six races or four out of six and is in second twice. Five out of six. So there's only going to be one number one and, and all people want to all, all gravel aspiring gravel cyclists are going to aspire to that at the opposite end of the spectrum might be like an aspiring gravel influencer who yeah. is is intentionally going to be slow but intentionally try to to create influence and in that mix in that wash is it going to be an ever greater volume and ever greater number of people but there's only ever going to be the top notch rider and there are going to be a lot of people aspiring to be that top notch rider and i think that increased professionalism increased volume and training increased uh i mean keegan as a result of social media is pretty transparent about uh, his meticulousness to the bike and, and, and having a mechanic and all these things that, that the young up and coming cyclist is going to want. And so I, I just don't see any way the sport is going to slow down. I don't know if it's going to have that, like you said, a notch down of like, well, we'll still keep this, this lifetime lifestyle element. Well, anyways, I think we uh, got some good stuff out there. Any final final words? Twenty twenty three. Let's yeah, finish. I was finish. gonna say. I mean, yeah. If we go, f- like, make this another hour long conversation. How was your twenty twenty two? And tell me about twenty twenty three. I'm curious how many folks are gonna listen to this conversation if they've gotten this deep into it. Oh, and, I think a lot of people are gonna like this, Ted. And I'm curious how many are gonna say those two curmudgeonly jerk holes. They, the sport has passed them by and now they're angry. We're hanging on. Um, you know, okay, let me interrupt myself. I love Jeff Kabush's point 
what? keep riding till the fun stops. Like, yeah. That's been his jam and, and he's been saying that for a very long time and I still love riding a bike. I think you still love riding a bike. I'm now thinking of a Greg Lamont quote, which is what, uh, it doesn't get easier. You just go faster. <laughs> and I'm now I'm thinking in the, in the arc of one's career, we've only gotten faster, but now it's getting harder and we're actually going slow. <laughs> yeah. Maybe it, you start getting slower, but it starts getting more fun. Yeah. Oh, I like that. Well, there we have it, folks. Another episode of Breakfast with Boz being served by Wahoo. I really hope you enjoyed today's episode and my conversation with Ted King. Ted is such an articulate and well-spoken individual, so a perfect person to sometimes help me articulate and explain the thoughts I have in maybe a more elegant manner. So, Ted, I appreciate you coming on. Thank you so much for sharing openly and honestly about how you feel and how you've seen things change. You have been a critical and um, influential person in the space of gravel. And I think as the sport continues to evolve and expand and grow, that it's important that we don't completely let go of the past. Of course, sport is going to change. Gravel, road, mountain biking, cyclocross, everything continually becomes more professional. Riders go faster. People take it more serious. That is wonderful. That is awesome. As a fan of the sport, I love seeing people reach their absolute maximum. But in particular with gravel, I feel like there's a huge community of riders and participants that we need to remember this started as and continues to be a sport for the masses. So let's hope we can hang on to that. Let's hope we can continue to welcome all riders to not just the bicycle, but to gravel events. So with that, folks, I hope you enjoyed this. And I'll catch you back here next time on Breakfast with Boz being served by Wahoo!